You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, I want to take you on a sailing trip uh, this morning. I want to take you sailing on the Mediterranean Sea as Luke invites us in Acts 27 to join a group of followers of Jesus who are in a boat. But I realize that many of us uh, come to church with a lot of pain and a lot of loss and a, and a lot of, uh, of disorientation. And it's because of that, I believe, that the church has preserved for us a remarkable uh, narrative described in rich detail of a great storm, a typhoon that afflicts the followers of Jesus Christ. It's a storm that deprives them of their orientation. It takes away any means of navigation and it leaves them hundreds of miles from their destination. This is Acts chapter 27, and I'd invite you to open it up and hold it in your lap here uh, as we go through this story together. But in the midst of this typhoon, here's the good news. How do you like this? The Apostle Paul says, we're going to lose the boat, but we're still going to live. When that's the good news, you know you're in a tough place. I mean, imagine if you're flying on a Boeing 737 at 30,000 feet and the captain comes on and says, uh, friends, uh, don't want to disturb you too much, but we're having a mechanical problem here and uh, we're going to have to ditch the plane. The plane's not going to make it. You'll be okay. Well, I'm just going to ask you to unfasten your seatbelts for the next 30 seconds here. It's going to be a little unexpected. And that's really what Paul says. He says to the crew, he says, you know what? Uh, We're going to lose the boat here in the middle of the Mediterranean in a typhoon. But you're going to be okay. Think of what the ship represents to the owner of the ship. It's his wealth. To the sailors, the crew on board, it's their job. To the passengers on board, it's their safety. All of these things will be lost in the midst of this storm. But you will find life. Unintended destinations run aground upon some island somewhere. What do you do when your life moves off course? Happens to all of us. We all have hopes and dreams and plans for the future. We all think about what we want to be doing, where we want to be doing it, and who we want to be doing it with. And then someday there's this massive gale that blows us right off that course. We find ourselves run aground in the midst of a typhoon. We never saw it coming. So what can we do? Well, the Apostle Paul finds himself in just such an unintended destination. And in the midst of this, God gives him three gifts. And I believe these same three gifts God wants to give to you and me this morning if you find yourself likewise off course. I want to lift them up for you, polish them briefly, and uh, commend them to you as we go through this story. Let's begin by uh, just looking at what happens to the Apostle uh, Paul. I'm going to show you a couple of maps so you can visualize this. The story begins here in Caesarea by the sea. Apostle Paul's been here possibly two years. He's under arrest in the custody of Romans. He appeals to the Caesar. Why? Not because he thinks he's been unfairly handled. He knows that. But because he wants to take the good news of Jesus Christ to Rome, the imperial capital. 
So uh, the Romans put him under the care of a centurion. That's somebody who has a command of a hundred soldiers named Julius. Julius uh, books passage with a boat uh, that is headed way up here, actually way up here, uh, the coast of uh, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, near the Black Sea. And uh, it's likely a grain trading ship that's come from Alexandria, where grain can be picked up at the mouth of the Nile and carried and sold all along this coast here. They proceed up the coast, and um, they have to go in the lee of Cyprus. Here's why. The prevailing winds on the Mediterranean are west winds. They're flowing out of the west towards the east. So they got to have shelter here beneath Cyprus and pick up some favorable currents here in the lee of Asia Minor, and they come to Myra. In Myra, it's time to jump uh, for another lift because this boat's going to go north and they're going west. So they pick up a large ship, actually, from Alexandria. This boat is, we know, loaded with grain for uh, Rome. And so Paul and his companions are um, booked on this. Now, this ship is heavy, but with all of its uh, heft, it is not able to move up a wind here. This is the fall. It's A.D. 59, most likely. Late in the year, the winds are getting strong, and uh, they spend a lot of time right here in this section between these two cities. The the captain finally decides to take recourse in the lee of these islands and moves down here towards Crete. What's happening is there's the westerly winds are being complicated by winds that are coming down from the Aegean Sea here. So they have a northwesterly breeze, and the best thing they can do is hope to get in some shelter underneath this island, which is Crete, as you know. They make their way to a little harbor called Fair Havens, probably a little bit east of where this map shows, right in here. It's just east of a, of a cape. And, and here in Fair Havens, they have a little discussion. You see, the captain and the owner of the ship would like to keep moving. They don't want to harbor. Fair Havens is a great haven when it's fair, but you you don't want to winter there. They want to move ahead around this cape, about 36 miles, to a harbor called Phoenix. Now the Apostle Paul says, I don't think this is going to be a good idea, boys. Uh, He says, you know, if we do that, you're going to lose your cargo and we risk losing our lives. Now, you could understand if a ship owner and captain decide not to take their navigational advice from a prisoner, a rabbi, (laughs) and the Apostle Paul, who, as we know, has been shipwrecked before this three times already, spent a night at sea, and he's probably got a little bit of seaweed between his teeth. And, you know, I think we'll take our own counsel, thank you very much. And what happens is, as they're having that discussion, suddenly there's a moderate uh, south wind that begins to blow, uh, which counteracts these northern winds. And it's just enough, they think, to get around this point. Well, as it turns out, Paul was right. This south wind doesn't last, and pretty soon we get what Luke calls a typhoon wind coming here off the uh, 8,000-peak Mount Ida, blowing down uh, from the south, from the north, excuse me, uh, into the ship, and it blows the ship straight south. And all they can do is catch a little bit of of a shelter from Claudia as they try to get the ship under control and they lose it altogether. They take desperate measures. The lifeboat has been swamped, Luke tells us. They pull it in. They drop their sails. They run cables around the boat to try to hold it together so it doesn't burst apart in this fierce storm. They drop a sea anchor, some uh, sheets in the water to try to drag and slow the boat because they know that over here they're headed towards uh, a a place that is infamous in ancient history for shipwrecks. There are shoals and quicksand. It's called Sirtis. 
It's like the Bermuda Triangle of the ancient world. They do not want to go in this direction. So they just hold on the water and let the currents take them as they're blown before the wind. They begin to offload cargo and tackle because the water's coming over the sides. And then in verse 20, Paul finally says, we were without hope of being saved. Some of us have been there also. And here's where I want to share with you these three great gifts that God has for you. Would you open up now, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 27? And let's read some of this together. Verses 21 through 26 on page 912. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able and let's read this section aloud. Looking for the gifts of God. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong, and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on some island. Please be seated. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. I'm thankful, too. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. I love the authenticity of this account. We even catch Paul in a moment of, I told you so. You know, kind of the know-it-all apostle can't resist saying, hey, look what happened, just what I said. But here's what he, he runs around the deck wanting everybody to know. He has been assured. And that's the first gift. It's an assurance the first gift is this, that in your unintended destinations, God will give you an assurance. Uh, an angel comes and stands by Paul and says, do not be afraid, Paul. Just when you think you've gotten out of the cell range of God, you've gotten yourself in deep trouble, you found yourself in a place you're totally lost to yourself, you are not lost to your God. And he wants to make contact with you and assure you of that fact it is going to be okay. Do not be afraid. Now, if you don't ask the question, I'm going to ask it for you. How come I never get an angel? How come I've never heard this audible voice that seems to float through the pages of Scripture? Well, I, I, want, I want to say two things about that. First of all, maybe you and I don't need an angel. After all, oh, you and I have something that Paul doesn't have, don't we? What's that? We have Paul. We have the writings of Paul that the Holy Spirit has inspired to show us the good news of Jesus Christ and to assure us. Paul says all scripture is God-breathed. It's a message to you from God. And we think of it as objective revolution, a revelation. And it is a revolution in our lives as it assures us that we belong to the one who gave his life for us. But the second thing is there is something more personal. God, in his mystery of revelation, wants to name each and every one of us. And he does come and give us a very intimate, very personal assurance. 
when we need it most. Uh, we don't always hear it, but he knows how to communicate with us when it is absolutely necessary. Young boy Samuel in the tabernacle hears his name, Samuel, Samuel. It's the Lord calling reassurance into his life. He thinks it's Eli because he hasn't cultivated the practice of listening for God's voice in his life. But the Bible testifies from beginning to end that he is a speaking God. The psalmist says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart instructs me. The psalmist, the Lord speaking through the psalmist in Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Jesus is the word. God is a speaking God, John tells us. And then even the Apostle Paul here, chapter 8 of the book of Romans says, I can tell you what this assurance has felt like in my life. It's when my spirit has been joined together with the spirit of God and there's been something within me that has leapt up to say from time to time, Abba, which means daddy, father. It's that experience of assurance that you can count on when you find yourself in very unintended, very unwelcome, sometimes even hostile destinations. He is reaching out to you to give you an assurance. That's the first gift. Now the second gift. As the story continues, we we find ourselves here at verse 27. Luke tells us it's been about 14 days since they have been blown off the shore of Crete. And they're zigzagging all around here in the currents. For two weeks now, they haven't eaten any food, possibly because they're seasick, possibly because they're preoccupied with the chaos on the deck. Um, uh, For whatever reason, they are hungry and exhausted. And here's what happens. Look at what what the Apostle Paul does. Verse 33. Let me read this. Um, Oh, before I read this, what you need to know is that they have begun to suspect that they're close to land. We don't know how that is. Maybe they've seen birds. Maybe the pattern of the waves has shifted. Maybe they've heard uh, uh, crash or breakers on rocks. But they have tested that. They've dropped down uh, for some soundings, some depths, and uh, received 20 fathoms, 15 fathoms. It's getting more shallow. We're approaching land. And so what they do is they toss four anchors off the stern and hold because it's night. It's dark. And they don't want to approach the land in the dark. So they pray for the dawn, Luke tells us. But now verse 33, here's Paul. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them, take some food. Today's the 14th day that you've been in suspense or in anxiety and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It'll help you survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, now listen to this description. He took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. Here's the second gift. The first gift is God's assurance. The second gift is this. In your unintended destinations, God will allow you to assure others. The Apostle Paul apparently has taken the assurance that he has received. It's going to be okay for you and the crew. And now he shares it in this moment of desperation. He's able to get past his own typhoon. He's, get, he's able to get out of that. He's still in a typhoon, but he's starting to, to, to get beyond himself as he ministers a ministry of presence in other people's typhoons. See, he comes alongside. And how is it that he does this? Well, the language that Luke uses is remarkable because it echoes for us, those who've been reading the Gospel of Luke and those who've been reading the book of Acts, 
The Eucharist. He took the bread and giving thanks, he broke it. Now, is he serving the Lord's Supper as though all these pagan soldiers were now believers? No. He's not. There's no wine here. There are no words of institution here. But the reader is alerted that there's something deep inside Paul's life that gives him the opportunity to move into other people's lives when they're in crisis. You know what that is? It's the presence of Jesus Christ. He's rooted in the presence of Jesus Christ. And as he breaks that bread, he and we are reminded of that reality for Paul. And it is that very reality that inspires him now to go out with fresh assurance into the lives of other people. It's so easy when we lose hope for ourselves to lose hope for other people. When we get disoriented to pull inward and feel sorry for ourselves and to not to be able to think about anybody around us, we just become preoccupied. But it doesn't happen to Paul. It's almost a gift that Paul gets to be able to get out of himself and into the lives of other people with a ministry of presence. Hey, I'm going to make it. Hey, you're going to make it. Let's have some bread. Going to need some strength. It's so simple and yet so very uh, profound. I told you a story a few weeks ago about a friend of mine. He had been looking through his breakfast window and he saw uh, one of his neighbors walk by. And his wife got a nudge because they didn't know this couple. But they had heard that the man had just had a stroke and was recovering. And you could see that as he hobbled along the sidewalk. And uh, my friend went out and they introduced themselves. Well, I, I was on the phone with my friend again <clears throat> this week. And my friend, he's elderly, he's retired, and we've talked about how he feels disoriented at this stage of his life. He really doesn't know what use he could be. And you know what? He could, get, he could throw a self-pity party. Right there. But I got to say, this is so funny. In the middle of the conversation with me, this man and his wife, Bob, walked by, just like, I, just like I told you a few weeks ago. And he says, oh, George, I'm sorry, can I just interrupt this for a second? And uh, I say, sure. But he doesn't put me on hold. He apparently carries a, what must be a cordless phone uh, through the door. I can hear the front door opening. I can hear the dog running out and him saying, oh, shoot. You know, and, then he, and then I hear him say, hey, Bob. He calls out and then he gets closer. He says, Bob. I just wanted you to know uh, that we're praying for you. And I just wanted to say hi, uh, Baba. And there's this awkward pause. And, and he says, Bob, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you'll get the ability to speak back. And then he says, yeah, but Bob, I don't know if you've seen on TV this gal that was shot in the head. And he said, she's, she's getting better. And Bob, you're getting better too. And I'm going to keep praying that you get better. And I just want you to know, Bob, that we love you. And it says, so see you later. And then I heard him walk back, close the door. He gets back on the phone with me, and I'm just amazed. And he says, he, and then he apologizes. Sorry, George. And I go, oh, no, I'm going to call you every day of the week, and you could do that. I loved it. That was just a, what a gift to me it was to see someone with someone you really didn't know be so warm and so present. I know it meant a world of difference to that man. Think about the ministry of presence. It's Father's Day. Some of us have lifetime of memories of the presence of our father in our lives. Some of us have maybe five memories where, where our fathers were really present to us. Some of us don't have any memories. But whatever your experience is, think of how important presence is. Someone who would really be there with you and for you. It, it humanizes you. It reassures you. And interestingly enough, this is the point in verse 37 where now Luke wants to tell us how many people are in the boat. You know, Ask yourself, why didn't he tell us right at the beginning? It's because here, it's here that we've realized that people become who they are. 
in the ministry of presence. Verse 37, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. It's after Paul does what he does in assuring these that now we get to see him. 276 souls on this boat. Reassured by the presence of one who is reassured by Jesus Christ. It's a powerful moment. What do you have in your hands that you can break and share with the people around you? Some bread? Maybe some encouragement? Maybe some pain? Maybe some love? Maybe a little bit of time? Whatever it is, give it in the midst of the storms to those who are going through their own storms. You may have a special gift that nobody else can give but you. Well, let's read on. We'll catch this third gift that God gives in the midst of this Storm is typhoon. Verse 39. In the morning, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they'd planned to run the ship ashore, if they could. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the ropes that tied the steering oars. They're trying to get some maneuverability. They hoist the foresail so they can direct with the rudder uh, to the wind. They make for the beach. But the plan doesn't work. Striking a reef, they ran the ship aground. The bow stuck. Here, they're off the coast too far and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves, crashing, tearing the boat to bits. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. Now, this was within their rights to do so. The penalty for, for in military law in Rome for losing a prisoner was the punishment to which the prisoner had been liable. So if Paul's going to his execution, these guys let Paul go, then they would be executed. So they're within their rights, and they're, and they're making what a rational decision to kill these uh, uh, prisoners. They're sharpening their blades to kill the Apostle Paul right here. This is going to be the end of the story. The New Testament's coming to a quick end. Uh, but the centurion, this is Julius, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest to follow, some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So finally the sun comes up and they can see where they are. They make for the shore. They miss. They get stuck in a sandbar. The bow is fixed and the boat's ripping apart and the Roman guards are unsheathing their swords and this will not end well. But Julius... The Roman soldier, the authority of Rome, will save Paul's life. I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. See, and here's what happened. Because of the ministry of presence of Paul in the life of Julius and probably many others, something's happened. There's a new hope in Julius's life. Maybe we will make it to the shore after all. Maybe there is something significant about my life that God wants to preserve. Maybe this relationship with Paul is an important relationship for me as well as for him. Who would have thought? You see, here's the third gift. In your unintended destinations, God is leading you into unpredictable hope. You can't see it coming. Somewhere in the wings, there's somebody. And you don't see him. Maybe you don't know them. But maybe out of your ministry of presence, someone steps forward and this person opens the door to the next chapter of your life. Think about what Julius means to the Apostle Paul. Paul's ministry from here on in is going to be what? A prison ministry. 
The people that on whom Paul will from this point forward have the most immediate impact on their lives, the good news of Jesus Christ, are prisoners and prison guards. And Julius is the first fruit. Paul didn't see this coming. He didn't know that this would be his future ministry. And here it comes to him in this unintended, unwelcome, unexpected destination. So Paul would write, when he writes this letter to the Philippians, it's his most joyful letter, Philippians. He begins by saying, this has all worked out great. It's actually helped to spread the gospel so that it's been known throughout the whole imperial guard, the Roman soldiers in Rome, the emperor's guard. They're they're now believing in Jesus. He ends the letter by saying somewhat, um, uh, um, not facetiously, but really provokes our a curiosity, all the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. Look what God is doing in this next chapter of Paul's life. It's like uh, we hear in uh, prophet Jeremiah. It's been read for us already this morning. Talk about unintended destination. It was from Babylon, Babylon, utter exile, that God's people heard this prophetic word through Jeremiah. For surely I know the plans for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Have you ever wondered why Luke is so detailed about this story? It's so long and there's so many details. Well, for one reason, Luke is an eyewitness to this. This is one of the we sections of Luke. It means Luke was actually on board this boat. But more importantly than the authenticity of this text, I think we see its spiritual meaning for us. When you and I find ourselves blown off course, we'll look back and we'll see a hundred, a thousand decisions we made along the way that got us to this point. And what Luke wants you to know is that God is in every single one of those details. He is there assuring you, allowing you to assure others, and leading you into a hope that is bigger and brighter than anything you can imagine. This is the hope that Luke has been showing us all the way through this book. Do you, I just want to recall for you how this book began. It was with a mighty wind. A wind of God's Spirit. The presence of Jesus Christ that brings His followers to life. And it's been this wind, the wind of the Spirit, that has been blowing through the pages of this book and the circumstances, bringing hope to all. And now it concludes, the real force in our lives is not the typhoons of the Mediterranean Sea, it's the wind of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What do you do when your life slides off course? Listen. Listen for that assurance that comes to you through Jesus Christ. And then share. Share that assurance with the people around you. They're going through storms too. And they need what you need, that same assurance. And then finally, trust Trust that even in this seemingly God-forsaken place that you never plan to find yourself, there is for you a new hope. Will you pray? God, to that, all we want to add is our amen, which means let it be true. Let it be our truth. Let this assurance that Paul received be our assurance as well. You haven't lost us. and You are the one who is ever in pursuit of every individual sheep. And so we open ourselves to you. We open ourselves to others. And we open ourselves to a new future and a new hope. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette.
To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.